Although breast milk is widely considered to be the best nutrition for infants, research tells us that exclusively breastfed babies may be at elevated risk for health problems such as vitamin D deficiency. What other health considerations may be associated with breastfeeding? Can we definitively say that breast milk is still the best? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey at Camden and an Executive Committee member of the American Academy of Pediatrics section on breastfeeding. Welcome, Dr. Winter. Thank you for having me. We're talking about some health considerations with breastfeeding, and one thing that has been reported recently is that vitamin D deficiency in exclusively breastfed babies may be a concern. Can you explain a little bit about this? Well, I think that we're really in the midst of an epidemic of vitamin D deficiency, and it's not just about infants who are breastfeeding. It's really throughout the lifespan, really coincident with recommendations to reduce our exposure to sunlight And so the reduced amount of UVB radiation that would ordinarily provide some vitamin D absorption in our skin, we have seen really a deficiency in the amount of intake of vitamin D. The only other way to receive vitamin D other than sunlight is through diet, and the dietary sources of vitamin D are typically difficult to get. And so breast milk, as well as almost all other foods, are not equipped or supplemented with vitamin D. The only other dietary source would be fatty fish or fish oils or the old cod liver oil. The reason for the recommendation of cod liver oil was to be able to provide vitamin D. So the difference between breastfed infants and formula-fed infants is that formula, in fact, is supplemented with vitamin D. And so because In this country, the majority of infants get some formula, even if they're not exclusively formula-fed. Exclusive breastfeeding is so uncommon that most infants do get some formula. Vitamin D really didn't become an issue until we started targeting exclusive breastfeeding and we started seeing a rise in exclusive breastfeeding, infants not receiving vitamin D from that supplemented formula. So our recommendations became published in 2003 for the first time from the American Academy of Pediatrics to begin to supplement all infants that are breastfeeding and getting less than a half a liter of formula with vitamin D so that infants don't become deficient. The way we would recognize infants that are vitamin D deficient because of exclusive breastfeeding is that ultimately, in severe cases, they would get rickets, which can be quite severe. In addition, there are very many babies that are deficient in vitamin D that don't have overt rickets but have biochemical parameters that would suggest that they're vitamin D deficient. And this can lead to problems such as immune deficiencies because vitamin D is important in the immune system. And long-term, vitamin D is important in cancer prevention. So it is very important that vitamin D is in the diet given that we don't recommend that infants get vitamin D through sunlight. Our recommendations are going to change in the next month. We're going to have a publication updating the 2003 recommendation, actually doubling the dose of what we initially recommended, recognizing that at the 2003 recommendation dose of vitamin D, infants were still deficient, not at the levels that we would like to see, again, to maintain good immunity. 
So the new dose will then be 400 international units per day, up from 200. That's correct. With that new dose, what we recognize is that formula-fed infants that are exclusively formula-feeding will get that recommended dose. But breastfeeding infants, even if they're supplemented, it's unlikely if they're still breastfeeding that they'll be getting a liter of formula plus breastfeeding. So really any breastfeeding babies should be supplemented with additional vitamin D drops. So I've read some reports that the vitamin D supplementation actually is not really happening at rates that one would hope. Do you have any information on that? Well, I think that there's a lot of resistance, particularly among exclusively breastfeeding women that have breastfed other babies that say, well, I didn't do this before. My baby seems just fine. Why do I need to do this? And I think it's because of the difference between what I mentioned, which is overt vitamin D deficiency resulting in rickets versus this vitamin D insufficiency leading to biochemical parameters that might later on lead to immune problems. There's a whole host of different autoimmune problems that can arise that have been linked to vitamin D insufficiency. And that's the condition that I think people don't understand and don't recognize. We're seeing in the adolescent population lots of girls that have vitamin D insufficiency, ultimately having problems such as stress fractures, and then going into childbearing age already vitamin D insufficient and then becoming deficient in pregnancy when calcium is leached from the bones throughout pregnancy and lactation. So it's really a life cycle issue that we should begin to address right at the get-go. Once infants are born, we should begin to supplement. There's a resistance among community members, but I think there's also resistance or maybe just a lack of awareness among pediatricians, even among my residents. It's something that I have to continually reinforce that they should be giving those vitamin D drops right from the get-go. What about parents who say, you know, my child does not like the taste of these drops. I'd rather just put them in the sun a few times a day. What's your response to that? Well, we really don't have any safe recommendations for sun exposure because, number one, we know that there's a risk of skin cancer melanomas that are on the rise. So we can't just say, go expose yourself to sun, even though it doesn't take a lot of exposure to get vitamin D. There's an issue with not only not having a recommendation to expose your skin to sun because of the concern for melanoma, but in addition, the environment has changed such that even if you were outside in what we think is sunlight, because of environmental changes, the amount of UVB is greatly reduced because of issues such as ozone. So particularly in areas in the northern latitude as well as in inner cities, it's very unlikely that you would be able to receive the adequate amounts of UVB. It also differs depending on skin color. So those of darker skin are much less likely to absorb vitamin D. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey at Camden, and an Executive Committee member of the American Academy of Pediatrics Section on Breastfeeding. We're discussing key health considerations of breastfeeding. Are there some instances where breastfeeding actually puts a child at greater risk for things, such as newborn jaundice, for example? So it is true that jaundice is more common in breastfed babies than in formula-fed babies. 
And this really stems from the issue of support and managing breastfeeding. So it's true that babies who are breastfed have higher levels of bilirubin. However, bilirubin in and of itself is not a cause for concern. In fact, bilirubin is not all bad. It's an antioxidant and it's supposed to be high. However, very high levels of bilirubin we worry about because of cronicterus. And so why would a breastfed baby have very high levels of bilirubin? Well, a common reason is that the mothers and their babies are just not breastfeeding adequately. So they're not breastfeeding often enough or the baby's not latching on and really receiving mother's milk. So we call that breastfeeding jaundice, but a better term is probably breast non-feeding jaundice, as <laughs> Dr. Gartner would say. And it's really because babies aren't getting adequate nutrition that their bilirubin stays in the body through enteropatic circulation and rises to the extent that babies need to be treated. The most important factor to help control significant hyperbilirubinemia in the breastfeeding population is close observation follow-up. New recommendations are going to suggest that all babies should have some measure of their bilirubin before discharge and that bilirubin should be plotted on the Bhutani nomograms and that will indicate when that next bilirubin level ought to be checked. And then depending on conditions such as the gestational age and health and wellness or sickness of the infant, then phototherapy guidelines will apply to the different bilirubin levels depending on the age of the infant. But the most important way to prevent bilirubin levels from getting to the point of Cornicterus or concern for exchange transfusion to prevent cornicterus is close observation, close follow-up. And that's why we recommend that all breastfeeding babies, really all babies, need to be seen by somebody who's knowledgeable and knows a lot about breastfeeding and knows a lot about jaundice no more than 48 hours after hospital discharge. Now, the AAP recommends exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months and then continuing with complementary foods till at least a year and then longer if mutually desired by mom and baby. Are there any health advantages or disadvantages to breastfeeding children beyond a year? Well, we used to think that continued breastfeeding was somehow incompatible with normal development of the infant. In fact, that infants, toddlers who continue to breastfeed um, beyond that first year of life would somehow have some behavioral issues that would be difficult to deal with. And I remember being taught this when I was a resident. Looking at data that examines the question of whether or not continued breastfeeding adversely affects the behavior of infants, it's clear that not only is it not damaging, but it's actually beneficial so that toddlers actually develop greater independence and self-sustaining skills in terms of being able to play and be engaged in activities with confidence more than their peers if they continue to breastfeed. So there's no behavioral reasons to stop breastfeeding. There's also a question of what good does it do, how much benefit can really be attained through continued breastfeeding. And breast milk continues to have all of the immune benefits that it had all along. So, for example, the secretory IgA is still present, so there's still some protection against gastroenteritis, against ear infections, things that continue to occur in infants well beyond a year of life will continue to be protected. Finally, there are 
data that suggests that the longer you breastfeed, really with every year of breastfeeding, you can continue to reduce a mother's risk of breast cancer. So there's a 28% reduction in risk of breast cancer from every year of breastfeeding. So mothers that breastfeed for two years, there's one study that shows a two-thirds reduction in overall risk of breast cancer. And that's probably some of the reason why the World Health Organization recommends breastfeeding for at least two years as opposed to the AAP recommendation of one year. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Lori Feldman-Winter. We've been discussing key health considerations of breastfeeding. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening.